Welcome to the National Technology News Podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, Content Editor of National Technology News. By 2050, it's estimated that three quarters of the world's population will live in cities. In China alone, hundreds of millions have emigrated to urban centers since the 70s, as urbanization continues almost everywhere across the globe. In the UK, for better or worse, since the 90s, more and more of the population and the economy has moved towards its cities. If predominantly young people continue to flood into urban hotspots after the pandemic, the country will be forced to tackle issues from traffic congestion to pollution and social issues. With so much riding in the future of cities, the drive to make them smarter has been the continued focus of innovation worldwide. To discuss the challenges and the opportunities of making cities smarter, I'm joined by Phil Beecher, president of the Y-Sun Alliance. Phil, could you briefly introduce what the Y-Sun Alliance do and what the role is of in the organization? Yes, certainly, good morning. So Y-Sun Alliance is an industry alliance which is driving interoperability for large IoT networks, particularly for smart cities and utilities. To give you an idea of what that means, I think many of your listeners are probably too young to remember a time before Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, but those came about because users wanted to mix and match devices, so buy a phone from one manufacturer and a headset from another. And what Wi-Sun Alliance does is provide similar interoperability or the mechanisms for interoperability between devices that are going to connect onto large networks like smart city networks. Now, it's possible that you won't have heard of Ysun because Ysun is really about business to business rather than uh, a consumer-oriented organization. But we now have somewhere around 300 member companies across 46 countries. And I think there's about just over 100 million Ysun-capable devices either being deployed in smart cities or utilities or in the process. So my role in the organization is president and CEO. So I guess I'm basically ensuring that we deliver what we promise for the benefit of our member companies, their customers, and generally for a better society. So the the organization really came out of uh, driving for standards in smart grid, really about reducing the carbon footprint So we are coming at this really from a green agenda in terms of reducing uh, the carbon footprint of society in cities. Would you say that smart cities are an important part of making the world and particularly the UK greener? Oh, most definitely. You know, there are a number of application areas and you mentioned them at the beginning. So certainly in terms of transport infrastructure, reducing pollution, and that includes CO2 emissions, but also the whole deployment of things like smart grid, where you're looking at reducing energy consumption, integrating renewables, all of these things are critical for reducing carbon emissions generally. Yeah, because so much of the media attention goes towards electric cars, and I suppose those are sexier, but there's just so many different things that go into the mix. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, certainly what we've seen, a huge driver for the communications infrastructure for smart grid goes beyond smart metering. 
So smart metering is just the ability to do remote meter reads, but smart grid is so much more of that than that. It also includes the ability to control the load on um, the electricity supply. So if you can do load shifting, then you can reduce the peak demand. It also means that uh, you can use renewables to generate more of your power. So that's a critical part of a smart city. Yeah, and that all sounds immensely promising, you know, particularly with the new Green Deal and all the commitments which Britain has signed itself up to. Exactly. And I think, you know, there are other areas such as uh, street lighting. One of the largest expenses for local authorities is the cost of uh, traditional old-fashioned streetlights and the electricity to illuminate them. So cities are deploying LED street lighting networks which help reduce the power consumption. So there's not only a, an environmental benefit, but also an economic benefit to this sort of thing. So moving on, a question for some of the less technical members of our audience. We've seen the hyper-ambitious smart city plans which Alphabet Sidewalk Labs have tried to implement in North America. How far away are we from seeing something like this attempted in the UK, sort of a, a truly full-scale smart city? Uh, well, I'd prefer not to comment on a specific commercial initiatives, but I think generally smart city networks are still in their infancy. So I think what we're going to see is that organisations will start with specific achievable projects which have quantifiable benefits, such as street lighting networks, um, which are pretty easy to justify on the return on investment, purely for energy saving and cost savings on maintenance. And then as that sort of network increases, that's going to establish confidence uh, for the local authorities and also for the citizens. And it also allows for evolution of ideas and then there, there can be new solutions to new problems included as the technology and the understanding becomes more mature. So I think in short, we're going to see large scale smart city networks appearing, but I think there's going to be more organic growth rather than a, a big initial plan to do the deployments. So that links quite well into my next question. Do you feel the impetus for reaching the true potential of smart cities is going to come mainly from state or from private initiatives? I think the initial drivers are about improvement of efficiencies and the qualities of life for the citizens. And I think we've seen that the pandemic has been responsible for a rapid acceleration of digital transformation anyway. The successful projects, I think, are probably going to be driven by the local authorities. So there will be very much local, but probably publicly funded infrastructure in the early days for this. I think it's important that local authorities and other stakeholders share their experiences of what works and what doesn't work. In terms of private initiatives, UK has already got a very strong uh, communications infrastructure anyway. So for example, we've got a, a good mobile network, we've got ubiquitous broadband connectivity. So there is um, a good infrastructure 
that is being provided by public companies. And then it's the case of, you know, how do the local authorities use that and connect into that, which I think is the important issue. So moving on, in February this year, we saw cybercriminals take control of a water facility in Florida. How can we ensure that smart city infrastructures are secure from cybercriminals or hackers? It's really a terrifying concept. So perhaps more to the point, how can we convince citizens and stakeholders that smart cities would be secure? So security for the IoT is paramount. And I think that IoT networks should be secure by design. Security is not something you can just add in as an afterthought. So this is designed all the way from each sensor on the network to the whole network architecture and the infrastructure that supports it. And I think technically we've got a lot of experience in already doing this, for example, banking infrastructure. The internet itself is pretty secure. When one sees announcements about successful hacks, that's normally occurring because somebody's left a vulnerability in a device somewhere. So there was the Mirai bot attack where uh, the hackers were able to get into um, baby monitoring cameras, that sort of thing, and then propagate the attack through there. The designers of these networks need to be very conscientious about what they do and then use appropriate technology. I think it's, um, you know, it's also important to note that things like smart grid infrastructure, not necessarily in the UK, but in other countries has been around for a long time. The systems administrators are monitoring the networks. There are attempted hacks all the time on these networks, very few of which are successful. It's very unusual to get a, a hack attack being succeeding. And then if it does, it needs to be limited so that it doesn't have an impact on the operation of the network or the safety of the network. So that, that's something that's very reassuring for me. So that links into the next question. So London is a very unique city and is also a fairly smart city by global standards. It's also one of many extremely old buildings and an unusual layout. Could you talk a little bit about the specific challenges of making the city smarter? Uh, yes, certainly. So um, people may be aware that uh, YSUN Alliance was, or the technology that we promote, was used to deploy a street lighting network in the city of London. That comprised something like 12,000 street lights and other lighting sources for things like historic buildings, bridges, etc. One of the big challenges of London is this mix of architecture. So there's obviously a, a lot of modern concrete, glass, steel structures, and they're mixed in with some very old stone buildings with narrow lanes. So the communications network is quite challenging to provide. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we have in England and particularly in the cities, strong connectivity or reliable connectivity for cellular and for broadband internet. But that doesn't reach down all the narrow lanes or between the urban canyons that you get between high rise buildings. So when um, 
lighting designers want to place a street light, they want to put it in the place that looks best, not the place they get good mobile phone coverage. And they're not necessarily the same things. So therefore we found wireless mesh technology works really well here. So wireless mesh is where if a device, a sensor or a street light cannot talk directly to something like a cell phone tower, then it can communicate with its neighbor and bounce messages or relay messages through adjacent devices. So that gives you very, very good coverage. You can communicate with every device on the network wherever you place it. Yeah, it's interesting because what's a aesthetic city to look at or a beautiful city to look at might not be an easy city to make smart. Yeah, that's very true. And I think the city of London, and I'd encourage people when they can go traveling again to go take a look at London and take a look at St. Paul's Cathedral and things like the Millennium Bridge and the, the lighting there. That is all now part of the smart city network of London. But again, as I mentioned earlier, within London, they started purely with the street lighting network because there was a good business proposition to do that. And having done that, they can now expand that network and include additional sensors. So things like air quality monitoring, there are sensors on the life belts on the River Thames, for example. So people in city office know if they've been tampered with or removed. So that's improving safety there. You can look at including things like traffic management and parking monitoring. So I think the key thing is if you have suitable technical infrastructure and good connectivity with a technology that allows expansion and evolution, then that provides the opportunity for a whole new load of applications to be uh, considered. So moving on to my final question, do you think that there's the potential for conflicts of interests between commercial interests and what is best from a technology standpoint when it comes to smart city development? Good question. Yeah, so smart cities are still within their infancy. And I think there is still a certain amount of hype about the technology that is going to be used. In reality, one single communications technology that works across all of the environments that you use. So if we go back to the city of London, for example, uh, they have a Wi-Sun wireless mesh network for the IoT infrastructure. So in other words, street light controls, various environmental sensing. Then in addition, they have a public Wi-Fi network that people can use for connecting their phones and streaming video, etc. So I think as far as deploying networks, there will need to be a mix of technologies. As I said before, people would use something like a, a Wi-Sun wireless mesh network for connecting of sensors, whereas you would provide public Wi-Fi for people to connect to for their mobile phones. So just to end the podcast on a positive note, what benefits does the average person or the average city dweller have to look forward to as a benefit of the rise of smart cities? I think the First benefits we're going to see are an improvement in things like traffic management, 
many cities are now suffering from traffic congestion and high levels of pollution. Smart city can certainly manage the flow of traffic better. The quality of life improves and the safety of the citizens. So with smart street lighting, for example, you can illuminate places as and when needed and reduce lighting levels accordingly. So that improves safety as well. So, for example, improving street lighting improves the visibility of cyclists and pedestrians. In addition, there are other benefits. For example, there's a project going on right now in Japan where there is a large-scale public health project where citizens are monitored still living within their homes. So these are you know, elderly and vulnerable citizens who maybe have health problems and they have sensors to monitor you know, things like blood pressure, blood sugar levels, etc. And if there are any anomalies, then those sensors will cause a message to get sent to their local GP who takes a look at the vital signs and then gives a call to the person to say, how are you feeling? Are you all right? Have you been doing any unusual activities? Maybe you should come in for a checkup. It's a fairly non-intrusive way of monitoring health. Yeah, and it sounds very promising considering the demographics of the UK, considering we're facing a progressively older and older population. Yeah, so again, I think It depends where you are in the world with this sort of thing, whether people will embrace the technology. This takes us back, I think, to your question about the security of the network. So there needs to be trust from the people that are likely to use the technology or benefit from the technology. But I think as we deploy more, providing it seem to be secure, then trust will grow. Wonderful. So thanks for the time today, Phil. I think it's been a really interesting podcast and I really appreciate you giving up the time to come on and join us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity.